Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. We'll grab a seat. Well, howdy. Welcome to Grace Southwood. If this is your first time, my name is Kevin Bear. I'm the college pastor here. And if you are a longtime attender, thank you for joining us on this journey. Welcome back from Thanksgiving. Welcome back. Did you have fun? Eat a lot of turkey? little insight into what home life is going to be like in a couple weeks, right? For better or for worse. Oh, yeah. Hey, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in our last uh, section of, of Philippians. So we're in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, and we are going to be talking about contentment. Contentment. There's a couple different ways we could have ended our Philippians series, and I thought during finals, what, else, what better topic could we talk about than contentment in all circumstances? This will be really good for us. All right. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. This is good for me, not just for you, for me too. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10, Paul says this. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's a big phrase. I've learned in whatever circumstance, whatever situation I find myself to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secrets of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, like run through a wall in Jesus' name. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. All things through Christ who strengthens me. It was kind of you to share your troubles. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into the partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Now that I've, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent me, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. Let me pray for us one more time. Lord, thank you so much for, for this word from Paul. And Lord, it is, it is astonishing um, to see someone, to see someone write that they have found contentment in every circumstance. And if we're honest, Lord, that's really something we desire, but something that's very difficult to receive. And so Lord, I pray that as we look at this word, as we, as we dig a little deeper into this section of Philippians, you would show us how we might live a contented life, that we could discover true commitment. And I know contentment in, 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 a, in, a, in a situation like this, in a season like this, in the midst of finals and maybe even graduation and uncertainty, there is plenty of reason for us not to find contentment, but find stress. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to see what you want us to see here and that we might find how you want us to discover a Christ-like contentment regardless of our situation. I lift up this time to you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to jump us off with a couple of quotes. One from an author named J.C. Ryle, and he says this, Two things are said to be very rare sights in the world. One is a young man who is humble, 
and the other is an old man who is content. I love that quote because he, he just annoys everyone, right, with that statement. It's rare to see a humble man or a content young man or a content old man. It's rare to find that. Nelson Rockefeller said this. He was asked, how much money does it take to make a person happy? And he reported, just a little bit more. See, there's a tendency in all of us to find discontent in all circumstances. If I was to ask you, hey, can you figure out a way to be discontent in all circumstances? You could probably figure out a way to do that. In fact, Thanksgiving may have been that time for you. Like you just got the turkey dinner. It's all out there on the table. It's beautiful, set, amazing, perfect. And then someone says something like, oh, well, there's not enough butter on the turkey or something like that. Like, oh, there's not, enough, there's not enough moisture in the stuffing. Oh, there's not enough something in the bread. Like even in the midst of a perfect environment, we can find something to be be discontent about. There is a tendency in all of us to find discontent in all circumstances, not contentment. In college, I'll tell you what, this particular time during finals is ample opportunity to find discontent. And what we will do, what we'll typically do, what I've done, is I always look to the past or the future to find contentment. All right, so I remember many times studying for finals in the midst of college. I'm in a coffee shop. It's 1 a.m. I'm like, I've got to get an A on this test. Like, I just got to work. I got to work. And then I would reflect back to times long gone, right? Like in elementary school, you know? Just longing for those days when your hardest exam was like the alphabet, you know? And it was like all 26 letters, you know? And, and right now you're like, I've got to memorize 30,000 biology terms, or I've got to memorize all of these equations. I just wish I needed to know my alphabet, right? And there's that moment you're sitting there. I just, it was so fun. We had recess every day, and now I've got to do this. You know, like there's that longing for the past, or there's this longing for the future, right? I mean, you're sitting there. Some of you are seniors. You're going to be graduating soon. Oh, yeah, you are. And you're, you're like... So excited about these last kind of ex- these last exams that you'll take, right? And you're studying hard, but kind of hard to study, you know. And you're you're putting through it. You're putting forth your best fifty percent effort, you know, to get through. You're just like, you're going, what grade do I need to just get out of here, right? You're just kind of like done, doing all the math on it, and 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 your hope is that once you get that diploma in hand, you put that tassel on the other side, you walk across the stage, you're like then I will find pure contentment, right? Because you'll have your first job, right? Where all joy is found, right? That engineering first rookie job is, is where, where joy is all found, or that first teaching job that you wanted, or that first whatever job you wanted. You're like, once you land that place, then, you, then all contentment will, will ooze to the surface, and then you get there to that that mythical location post-college, right? You've heard about it. There's people that have been there, right? And, and you're like, tell me about this land post-college. It's, it's beautiful. There's, there's pure joy and pure contentment. And then they'll tell you things like this. Yeah, man, college was awesome. And you're like, what are you talking about? I thought I arrived at the ultimate, like after college. And you're like, dude, you get two weeks of vacation for the rest of your life. 
And I just, you know, I sit there in the middle of summer and I, I, I'm at work and I remember like days when I would just go backpacking in Europe with friends and then just like have two to three months where you're just like, what are you going to do today? I don't know, drink some coffee and hang out with a friend. And, and then you, you're in the real world and you've got two weeks of vacation and you're like longing back to those days in college, the days that you're like, I can't wait to get done here. Back, then you're up there and you're like, I can't wait to, I can't get back there. I just, I can't, I can't do it anymore, right? Or there's that longing for the future. Like once, once I get past my first job, I'll get this next job. Like this first job is so terrible, but once I'm ruling this thing, then it'll be much better. I'll start my own company. I'll do my own thing, but maybe it's not a job. It's, it's once I'm married, right? Then all my discontent will be fixed in the loving arms of this one. I just need to find the one, right? I just need to find this one, like once, or, or anyone. Like I just need to find <laughs> one, and, uh, and, and once I get one, and then, then all of that will go away because then I will find contentment. But then you'll be like, oh no, once, once I find the one, then we just need to find one house. And then once we got one house, we need to find one kid. And once we have kids, you're like, man, once the kids leave, <laughs> then there will be contentment back in the home. And I just tell you, you can keep on pushing it down the line. Once, once this future arrives, then contentment will cascade toward me. But well, I'll tell you this, discontentment can travel with you because discontentment isn't just an external thing. Once that circumstance changed, then I will find contentment. Discontent can travel with you. You carry it with you. It's like a weight on your back. It's like baggage that you bring to every circumstance you're in. We all do. One, um, one article by the Brookings Institute was studying stress and happiness levels. And here's what they found. This is fascinating. They looked at, at all different types of people, and they said this. Among these relationships, the one, the one between age and happiness, often referred to as a U-curve, is particularly striking due to its consistency across individuals, countries, and cultures. And they said, look, we've looked at different countries, different cultures, different age demographics, and they found this U-curve. And they found that happiness is at its highest level before you reach your 20s. And then it engages in a steady decline until your 60s, until which it comes back up. He says this, happiness declines with age for about two decades, from early adulthood until roughly middle age years, and then turns upward and increases with age. Isn't that fascinating? So at 20, what do you have to look forward to? The next two decades of discontent, where your happiness level shrinks, 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 as you look for more and more reasons. We all look for more and more reasons to become discontent. The Brookings Institutes found this out. If they just studied people, they're like, why do we all trend downwards? I was excited about telling you this, right? Here's, here's your future, right? There's, there's this tendency to find discontent in all circumstances, and it just grows with us. And once you hit about the age 60, this is fascinating, from the ages of 40 to 60 plus years, that's when it stands, and then it starts to trend its way upward. Isn't that fascinating? It's like at 60, you finally realize, oh, I don't have to live this way anymore. <laughs> like some, for some of us, we can have discontent follow us our entire lives. But what I want to give you today is a different option. I'm going to show you a person who found contentment in all circumstances. It was independent of circumstances. And I'll tell you what, contentment is possible. 
What we're going to find in this section is that contentment is possible. You don't have to trace that trajectory in life. We find from Paul, him saying this, contentment is, is possible. And he says it this way, I rejoice in the Lord, verse 10, greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, here's the context of what's going on in Paul's situation. The, the book of Philippians is basically a thank you letter to the, the Philippian church. He had some needs. He was currently in prison. And in order to support prisoners at that time, in that day and age, you, you had to have friends send you food, clothing, money to support yourself. And, and he traveled all over the place. He was in prison at this point. And in order to be sustained, he needed help from friends. And the Philippian church moved in with a great gift from Epaphroditus and helped him out. I mean, it was amazing. He's saying, I'm so thankful that you, you showed your concern for me. But I want to tell you something. My happy meter didn't follow the gift that you gave me. I wasn't just happy because I got good stuff. It wasn't like I was low and depressed and then I got a sweet gift and now I feel great. He says, no, no, my my happy meter didn't follow the gift that you gave me. I'm thankful for it, but I want to tell you something. I want to teach you something. I've learned that in whatever circumstance I'm in, I've learned to be content. What does he mean by that? Content is this. It's an internal, peaceful disposition. If you want a definition for what contentment is, it's this. It's internal. And it's an internal, it's something on the inside of you that's a peaceful disposition. The word contentment in Greek is the Greek word archeo. And it means this, to be sufficient in oneself, to be self-supporting, to be self-sufficient. And and this is crazy. The world is going for this. The the world wants content people, people that are are sufficient in any circumstance, that aren't aren't vying and and, and moved by the, the winds of transient culture, of transient waves. The Stoic philosophers in their day and age longed to discover contentment. They wrote this. Man should be sufficient unto himself in all things and able by the power of his own will to resist the force of circumstance. Buddhists today, they want contentment. They want you to find contentment in all circumstances. And both of those ways of thinking have a way of, of, of longing for contentment. And Paul says, yeah, you want contentment? You want peace in all circumstances? I've got it. And he says, I have it. It's an internal disposition, and it's not based on circumstances. It's independent of any circumstance I find myself in. And you may be asking, okay, Paul, well, how bad were your circumstances? I mean, any circumstance? Come on, Paul. Like, I have some crazy uncles. Like, I have some crazy circumstances I walk through. So are you really saying you can be content in any circumstance? Well, if you're not familiar with Paul, he was an apostle. And you're like, oh, great. Christian varsity. Okay, like how hard could his life be, right? Well, he says this in 2 Corinthians. He says this of his life. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, not what you're thinking, like rocks thrown at him, right? Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, 
in toil and in hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches. He's saying, look, I've experienced hardship. As I'm preaching the gospel different places, I've discovered tremendous hardship in my life. And let me tell you about that hardship. I'm not saying it's not real. And I'm not saying I just need to endure every circumstance. I found a way to find contentment in the midst of every circumstance. It wasn't independent of his situations. I think for many of us, we approach contentment in a way that we think, once I get out of this situation, then contentment will come. And Paul is saying, look, whether I'm in the lowest low or the highest high, I've discovered this. Contentment is possible. It is an inward, peaceful disposition. I can be calm in any storm. But secondly, it's something that can be learned. Not only is contentment possible, it's something that can be learned. And Paul says it this way. I'm, I learned it through circumstances. Verse 13, or verse 11. Not that I'm speaking from need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says this, I have learned how to be content. Isn't that interesting? Contentment isn't something you're born with. It's not something that's natural or innate. It's not like that girl is always just chill and she just is content in every circumstance. It's not like that guy just doesn't care and so he's content in every circumstance. He says, no, we all have discontent, but this is a skill in life you can learn. And he says, I can, I've learned it in every circumstance, in lows and in highs. See, for some of us, we think that if I can, it's the lows that bring me down. It's, it's the bad situations in which I find myself discontent. It's when things aren't going my well, way. Of course I feel discontent. It's when I'm in traffic, when I do bad on an exam, when she breaks up with me. It's those moments that, of course, I feel discontent. And Paul says, no, no, even in the lows, I found contentment. And even in the highs. For some of you, you, you realize, uh, if you fam- follow famous old rappers, more money, more problems, right? Like, you can have more money. And you can also have more problems. The more money you make, the more problems you see, right? So some of our famous old people, right? So have have said these wise words. Because the truth is, with great wealth can cause more problems. You become more successful, more problems can come your way. And you can meet very wealthy people that are not very nice people because they continually just can't deal with their circumstances, And in order for God to teach you how to find contentment in every circumstance, this is the part of God we don't like. He's going to put you in a variety of circumstances. In order to learn contentment, you've got to be brought through highs and lows so that God can teach you something. And I'll tell you what, this is the part of God we don't like. If you want the fruit of the Spirit, you know where the fruit of the Spirit is grown? It's good fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? It's good fruit. How does it grow? In bad soil. So if God wants to grow patience in you, you know how he grows patience? He doesn't give you peace. He gives you siblings, right? (laughs) 
He gives you roommates. He gives you opportunity to practice patience, right? If he wants you to be generous, what does God do? Takes away all your money. Puts you in college, right? So you can learn to be generous. If you want to learn contentment, God trains you to be content in full moments and in low moments. And I'll tell you what, there's one biblical character that demonstrates this so well, and it's the character of Joseph. Joseph in the Old Old Testament was, was a guy who was given tremendous potential, right? At 17 years old, he got a dream about his future. I mean, it is a great dream, right? And he goes to his bros. He's the youngest of all of his brothers, the youngest of 11. He walks over to them. He's like, guys, I had this tremendous dream. You want to hear about it? His brothers are like, little brother, man, just fine. What was your dream? I had a dream about 10 haystacks bowing down to me. And they're like, okay. And then he has another dream. He goes, guys, I got this dream. And he sees his dad there. He's like, dad, check out my dream. Okay, I had a dream that the sun, the moon, and and 10 stars were bowing down to me. It was so great. And his dad goes, okay, you're having dreams about us bowing down to you. What are you talking about? That's never going to happen. You're the youngest. We're not going to be bowing down to you. And his brothers are like, oh, we know exactly what's going on. He's getting messages from God about his success, his future, about how great he's going to be. Let's knock him down a notch. And so they practice human trafficking, right? They sell their brother into slavery. It was a rough go for him. And you think about Joseph. He's like got all of this potential, right? This land out in front of him that he can achieve, so much that he can do. But here's what Joseph doesn't have yet. He doesn't have the skills or the character in him to have that level of authority. He doesn't have the skills or the character internally to lead in that way. And so he spouts off about who he is, about what his life is going to look like. And and God has to spend the next 13 years of his life humbling him. He has to spend the next 13 years of, of his life creating a variety of life circumstances to train him into how to use this God-given authority. And I'll tell you what, to learn contentment means that you've got to experience a variety of life circumstances. And so Joseph sold as a slave. He's betrayed and then he's given as a prisoner. And in prison, he's waiting there for many, many years. He interprets some dreams. They forget him in prison. And finally, he's remembered, and he has a moment before Pharaoh where he says, look, if you follow this plan, you can save the entire region from starvation. And the Pharaoh's like, that's awesome. How did you come up with that? How did you come up with that, Joseph? He spent years leading. He spent years learning the language and the culture and the custom. He spent years in devotion to God. And the reason I know that is because in Genesis chapter 45, verse 7, when he finally sees his brothers come to him, and they're bowing before him, he says this, So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry for yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there, have, and there are yet another five in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve life for you, a remnant on the earth, and to keep you alive for many survivors. So why did God put Joseph through all of these crazy life circumstances? Why? 
because he knew I needed to put Joseph through all of these pieces. So when the moment came when the knees were hitting the floor, Joseph had the skill and the character to see God's plan in action. He needed the skills and the character to say, you sold me here, but that was part of God's plan. This was rough, but that was part of God's plan. There is something that he needed formed within him so that he could be content and not vengeful in this moment, not take revenge on his brothers, but actually say, no, God sent me here to save life, not take life. And I'll tell you what, God is creating, crafting your circumstances to form character within you, to be content, to trust him. And he puts you in these crazy moments so that you would learn what Paul learned in 2 Corinthians. Paul learned this, how to experience God's sustaining strength. In this passage, he says it this way, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Literally, verse 13, he's saying it this way, I have strength in the power of Christ. I'm empowered to stand in any circumstance because of the empowerment he has given me. And how do you experience that? Here's the difference between Paul and Stoic philosophers and Buddhist philosophers. Paul doesn't believe that his internal strength comes from himself or what he's learned. He says, I am self-sufficient entirely because of the sufficiency of another. I can do all things, how? Through the empowerment of Christ. And how did he have that? How did he find that? How did he grasp that? Because that's the secret of contentment. So how does he get it? Here's what God does in his life and he'll do in your life. He'll put you in many, many crazy so that you find contentment. He says it this way in 2 Corinthians 12. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations I received. A thorn was given to me in, in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should be taken away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. How did Paul learn that God's grace was enough? You know how? Trial. How did he learn that God's grace was sufficient for him? He experienced God's grace in a variety of circumstances. And he, as he saw God's faithfulness in his life, he realized, okay, I can trust him. He brought me through all of these different moments. I can trust him and I can be content in him because his grace is enough. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What does that mean? Can you run through a brick wall? Can you break a hundred bats over your thigh through Christ who strengthens you? No. What is Paul saying? Look at the circumstance. I can endure all circumstances through the sustaining power of Christ that is working in me. I can endure all manner of crazy if I am receiving the empowerment of Christ. So God has given you lots of moments to learn this. For some of you, that was your Thanksgiving. Some of you, Thanksgiving was just refreshing, reprieve. You got to put your feet up and watch football and just slam turkey down your throat for like four days. It was a beautiful time for you. For others of you, it was the precursor for the insanity that will be Christmas, right? For some of you, it was, it was not a restful time. 
You've been in college. You've been doing your own thing. You keep your own schedule. If you want to stay out till three o'clock, no one's looking over your shoulder. And then you went home for Thanksgiving and you're like, oh yeah, my parents have rules. They still see me as a 16-year-old. Okay. And God has given you that place to honor and love your parents. Some of you are now sharing a, a room with a sibling back home, right? You're not sharing a room now. And then you go back home and you're like, oh, you're still here. (laughs) And God's given you that person to practice contentment, to love them in all circumstances. He's given you that circumstance to find that Christ is sufficient, that his grace is enough. For some of you, it's the uncertainty about your future. God's given you that as a gift. I'll give it back. I know. But he's given you the uncertainty as a gift because he wants you to say, you know what? You can trust me about your jobs. And I'll tell you what, personally, this is one of the hardest things that I've had to walk through in life. When I graduated college, um, I was looking for jobs in College Station and I knew no one in College Station. And so I'm just looking for jobs, different places. I'm thinking, maybe I'm going to go into teaching. Maybe I'll do this other thing. And then suddenly I get a call from an individual saying, hey, why don't you interview with this church called Grace Bible Church in College Station, Texas, and see what it's like there. And I interview and I get a job and I'm like, Lord, you have paved the way for me. You, you protect me. It's so good. And so for three years, I had a job here at Grace. And then my wife graduated veterinary school. And then we were going to move to Florida as she did a veterinary residency in Florida. And so I'm like, okay, I'll just trust God, right? I don't need a church job. I'll just get any job. And so we land in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Coral Springs area, and I start applying to jobs anywhere, right? Just anywhere because I'm like, we're only going to be here a year. I don't need a great job. And so I'm applying at Starbucks and Barnes and Nobles, right? Just any job. I kid you not, for two months... I could not get a call back from Starbucks. I had a college degree, I had four years work experience, and Starbucks would not hire me. I remember going to Starbucks like, like please, like, I, will, I, will, I will just like sweep coffee grounds on the floor for you. Anything, like, can I just get a job? And the answer was, was no, no. And then a couple, couple months in, my wife talks to her boss who knows of a church that needs someone to do youth ministry and children's ministry. They need some help. And she tells me about it and says, hey, he thinks you should go apply for that job to help out that church. Now, did I know that church existed when I was sitting here in College Station? No, but God did. Did I know that that was a need out there? No, but God did. And so how did I spend that two months? Stressing, right? When am I going to get a job? I hate this place. Florida's terrible, right? I'll go to the beach. You know, so just... just <laughs> Just so frustrated. And then I applied to that church. I got a job and it was a great year where I helped them and I learned and it was so good. And God just showing me in that moment, I got you. Sometimes you just got to walk through those circumstances so you can finally learn, okay, I can trust God. Like he's in control of my destiny. He's in control of my life. I can be content in this circumstance even if I don't know what it's going to what it's going to bring. You know why? Because I know him. I can be content here because I know my maker. And that's what Paul says. I can be content because I'm radically dependent on the one who controls everything. 
my future, my path, everything else. And I'll tell you what, when you find this type of contentment, you know what it does in your life? It frees you. It frees you. And that's what we see in the last section. This contentment is truly freeing. He says, he he goes back to the gift and he says, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that at the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you alone. Even in Thessalonica, you sent to me help more than once. He's like, you've been helping me as I've been traveling and preaching and setting up churches. It's been amazing. He says, but not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice pleasing, but, but I'm fine. He says this, what this enables me to do, this contentment, this reserve reservoir of pure contentment, it means this, that I can appreciate people, not use people. You know what it, what's fascinating about this, this moment as he's talking about the gift? He doesn't mention what it is. Like, we don't know if it's food, if it's money, if it's clothes. We don't know exactly what the gift is. He just says, I'm just thankful you thought about me. I'm just thankful you cared enough to give me anything. I'm just happy I was in your mind. I can be content with whatever you give because I have this self-sufficiency in Christ that he's given me so I can be content no matter what happens. And I'll tell you what, that level of calm is radically different And it's so needed because you're going to go home for Christmas and you're going to get a gift and you're going to open that present from, from Meemaw, right? And Meemaw has going to have made that present for you or found it at JCPenney, right? And, and as you open that gift, there's going to be an immediately immediate thought in your head. You're saying, my mom asked for a list of items that I would want for Christmas And this wasn't on any of those lists. Um, This would never have made a list that I would make. Um, But some reason I needed this, you know, this tie um, that with Santa on it. And and she's like, you can wear it at Christmas Eve service. You're like, I I guess I could next year. And you're going to have that moment where you just go, can I appreciate the gift and the giver? Or am I just going to critique the gift? Can I appreciate this person and their thoughtfulness to give me anything? Or am I just going to nitpick what was given? You find that with your roommates, right? Your roommates would be like, hey, I, I clean the dishes. And you're going to walk over to the dishes because you care about dish orderliness, right? And you're going to be like, you put the spoons in the wrong drawer. You're like, okay. <laughs> Can you be thankful that they just served you and they were trying to help you? Can you appreciate people or do you nitpick the gift? Paul says, I'm content and I'm just thankful that they gave. Why? Because Christ gave his best for me. And that's the last part. He says, I believe that God always gives me his best. So I don't need to try to pull the best from you. I believe that God always gives me his best. And so I don't have to manipulate you. I believe that God cares so much about me that no matter what circumstance I land in, he's caring for me. And he says, look, God's going to bless you for your gift. And look, God's going to bless me. 
He says, and God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This whole thing is the sufficiency of Christ enables him to just be thankful, to just be content with what they gave and not try to work it, not try to move people in a new direction. He just says, look, I'm just thankful you're here. I'm thankful you thought about me. And you know what? God's going to bless you back. I'll tell you what, if we take that mentality, if we take that sufficiency that we have in Christ back home for Christmas, let me tell you what it'll do for your family. They'll say, there is a God in heaven. And he lives in College Station. Because when you go there and you say, hey, thank you so much that you got me that like pink shirt. Like I needed that pink shirt with Santa on it. And, and I'm thankful that you thought about me. Hey, I'm so thankful that you made this meal and you think it's my, my favorite meal. It's never been my favorite meal, but I'm not going to talk about that. I'm just going to say thank you for thinking about me and making that cake I don't like, but you thought I liked this. Fine, I don't even talk about it. Thank you that you thought about me. Thank you. And it means you overflow with gratitude because you have sufficiency in him and it will, it will rock your parents' lives and it will speak the glory of Christ. Because he is enough. His grace is enough for us. His grace is enough for you. And it's the fuel to give you contentment no matter where you land. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for, for this time. And Lord, I thank you so much that you, through Paul, showed him how to find contentment in every circumstance. And I know for many of us, we don't want to find how you are supplying our needs when we lack or when we don't know our future or when we're really uncertain about things. But that is the exact moment when you speak life into us, when you show us how to find contentment. And so Lord, I pray that as we go through this Christmas season, as we go through these finals that that are stressful for many of us, that we would trust you that you are enough, you've made us smart enough, good enough, and gosh darn it, you like us. And in that stable place, we can move in contentment and love. Thank you so much for these students. Thank you so much for this amazing semester. Thank you so much for your son. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.